Welcome back to About South. This week, we're joined by Sarah Patnod of the Handmade Coalition of Georgia to talk about reproductive rights in the state and beyond and what it means to stage a successful protest in the conservative Southeast. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. So Sarah is with us today um, to talk about the Handmade Coalition of Georgia and maybe broader. So to begin, Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show. I've never met you before, which is usually I've at least met the people before I interview them. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Will people who don't know me enjoy being on the show or is it only my friends? We'll find out. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about the Handmade Coalition, what's its history, and essentially, what does it hope to do? We're the ones who wear the red cloaks and the white bonnets. Um, And the Handmade Coalition is a rather loosely organized national organization um, that started uh, after the 2016 election. The first big protest was the first Women's March in Washington um, that brought together a lot of women wearing these outfits. Uh, the Handmade Coalition of Georgia is one of the most active chapters in the country. Um, so we've unfortunately grown a lot in the last year, which I'm sure we'll get into why that is. Um, but there are chapters across the country of volunteers who stand in these outfits to bring attention to issues of reproductive health and justice. Right. And so for folks who might not know, the Handmaids being kind of a riff or taking off from the Margaret, Margaret Atwood novel, The Handmaid's Tale, or the Net, the Hulu show, right? <laughs> Not Netflix. The Hulu show that some people maybe have seen. Yes. Um, so it, they are a character that is being used basically as a forced surrogate in a dystopian future where people have trouble having children. And so women who are um, or have a history of having kids are basically forcibly impregnated by men in power Um, to give them children. Um, So it's a question of kind of bodily autonomy and uh, questions of rights to your own person. And we find that those messages are really relevant today. So why, to get into why it's important today, what is the political landscape? Why are you showing up and protesting? Um, I have to imagine that Almost every single person listening to the podcast knows the answer to this already, but why don't you break it down for us? What situation are we in, particularly in the Southeast right now? Right. So the reason why our chapter has suddenly grown is because of the attacks on um, women's abortion rights, especially in the South, um, especially in the Southeast. And in Georgia, that's House Bill 481 that just passed in our last legislative session and got signed into law. And um, the ACLU has just filed a lawsuit to stop it from going into effect. But if that's not successful, it would go into effect on January 1st. Um, So that law basically makes it um, impossible for women to get abortions. They use this false story of a heartbeat, which there's a lot of medical issues and reasons why that's not really what's happening. Um, But what it effectively does is stops women from being able to access abortion after six weeks of pregnancy, which is really just two weeks after your missed period. 
Um, so it's far too fast for most women to even know that they're pregnant and especially too fast for women to access abortion if that's what they need. Right. And so what is the, before the law, what was the current regulation in Georgia? Um, so these attacks uh, that we're seeing across the country are all trying to take this one step back, um, a, one step away basically from the idea that life starts at conception. So they're saying that they're supposed compromise is that they're letting it be when there's a quote-unquote heartbeat um, which for the record that's not a heartbeat there is no heart formed at six weeks of pregnancy it is a fetal pole that has electrical signal going through it that mimics a heartbeat and is the precursor to a heartbeat so even that little bit of science that they're hinging on is completely wrong wow yeah so this is a serious walk back and we see this happening you said particularly in the southeast so not just georgia but what are some of the other states that these laws are affecting yes so we've seen laws passed in alabama and missouri um mississippi just uh passed some similarly restrictive i believe tennessee did as well um so we're seeing it happening further afield than you would normally think. I mean, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, we all have a certain kind of reputation, but a place like Missouri, you wouldn't necessarily associate with the kind of deep conservatism that is necessary to pass a law like this. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a good point. Like it's not, it maybe seems expected in the Southeast, but this is happening everywhere. Exactly. So where do we stand right now in Georgia and across the country with these challenges to reproductive freedom? So most of these laws, not just the one in Georgia, are specifically targeted not at just stopping abortion in the states where they are filed, uh, but they are targeted at attacking Roe v. Wade and Parenthood v. Casey. Um, and so what they are trying to do is to dismantle abortion rights in our entire country. Um, so they expect legal challenges. It's absolutely not been a surprise that every single state that has passed a law like this has been immediately met with a legal challenge. That's exactly what they expected in filing these laws. And that's what they wanted. Because what they want to do is to be the state that manages to get to the Supreme Court to argue against abortion rights. And that's what we've you know, that that is what politicians promised us all along for many, many years. But most successfully and most recently, of course, with Donald Trump in 2016, that he told us he was going to get judges on the Supreme Court that would overturn um, overturn Roe v. Wade. It's an open question if that's possible. A lot of scholars will tell you that it's not. A lot of historians will tell you that impossible things have happened at the Supreme Court before. Um, so we don't know what would happen, especially with the kinds of signals that are being sent out of the Supreme Court with their other decisions that are being made. Um, what we do know is that we have two new justices that were put into place by Donald Trump, and that with each of their nominations and confirmations that the religious right was crowing about this being their ability to stop Roe v. Wade. If Roe v. Wade was dismantled, that would not make abortion illegal that would kick the question back to the states. So we do have states like New York that are expanding abortion protections because they understand that abortion care is health care and it's an important piece of reproductive justice. Um, so what it would do if Roe v. Wade was taken down 
it would make abortion much harder to access. And for a lot of people, especially lower income people and in people who live in states like Georgia or Mississippi or Alabama or Missouri or Texas or all of these places where abortion access is already being limited and people are already having trouble accessing abortions even with the laws currently in place, this would be absolutely devastating. And it, mark my words, it would lead to women and other people dying. Um, because we know that if people cannot access abortions that they need safely, they will access them unsafely. Now, how did you get involved in particular with the Handmaid's Coalition mm -hmm. in protesting these laws? Yeah, well, so right after the 2016 election, um, the Handmaid Coalition formed for the first protest at the Women's March, but um, there was imagery kind of all over that it, the Hulu show was coming on basically at that same time and people were starting to see signals, symbols and um, that kind of uh, the symbolism of the cape and cloak um, was being used as kind of a shorthand of uh, women's resistance, uh, which I think is actually an important note to make is that these outfits are used for characters who are um, in a subjugated position, but it's also women in the show and in the book who are resisting that position. Um, so I think that that's a key piece that sometimes people miss in our protests. Um, but in Georgia, we started ours, there was a day in 2017 um, where they had a 50 handmaids in 50 states protest. So it was a national protest where they tried to get handmaids to show up at their state capitals in all 50 states. Um, and so in Georgia, that's where our chapter formed was of um, a call basically for women um, and men are welcome as well to join with us um, in these outfits to protest um, what we saw as concerning trends towards um, these kinds of laws. At that time, we had no idea House Bill 481 was coming. Um, so we never expected that we would be where we are now. So I was... Um, you know, I, I began working with the Handmade Coalition then, um, and that's kind of when our leadership really kind of formed a little bit. It was a, a rather loose process of these were the people who were able to give their time. Um, and then when House Bill 481 came on in the last legislative session, that whole um, scene basically exploded. So we had handmaids at the state capitol every day of session after that bill was filed. Um, we were there all night long on crossover day. We were there all night long on um, signy die, the last day of the legislative session, uh, to stand as a visual symbol um, and in the state capitol. What reaction did you get from lawmakers as standing there? Because you're standing there silently in this heavy symbolism that they know what it means. There's, I mean, I imagine maybe people could try to feign ignorance, but there's not. What kind of reaction do you get? So we get really, there, there's two sets of reactions. Either people say, thank you, yes, we love you, because they know exactly what we're standing there for. And you know, often we'll have people that are wearing signs as well, because it is a silent protest. We don't talk. Um, but we, you, either you are there and you're supporting us and you're saying, yes, good job, and that includes the legislators who were coming through, um, or you're completely on the opposite end of the spectrum and you think that uh, we are completely wrong and that you completely disagree with us. Um, we've had a wide range of reactions. So I remember on Sine Die, 
we had a GOP legislator um, in the state capitol try to tell us uh, that, well, what he tried to tell us was that the reason why the women in the book and in the movie, uh, the TV show couldn't have babies was because they'd had too many abortions, which is nothing at all to do with any of it. And also, if you pay attention to the book and the TV show, the reason why people can't have children is because of male sterility, not female sterility, um, which the, the whole show, they're trying to blame it on the women when it turns out really it's the men are infertile. Um, and so the way that this legislator was trying to shape this narrative and make it all about women having, you know, been wrong and have abortions and so that makes you know god's punishing them to be infertile and that you know he tried to tell us that that's what we were showing and it's just completely untrue um, i am simultaneously offended as a woman <laughs> and as a literature professor <laughs> like not only are you just misogynist you also are just fundamentally misreading the text it's completely wrong it has absolutely nothing to do with the story Ugh. Yeah. Um, another reaction we had this past year, Ed Setzler was the uh, co the sponsor of House Bill 481, so he was the one who brought this legislation forward. He told a fundraising group that um, he had been chased in the Capitol by red witches, um, which actually I think is kind of a point of pride, which number one, we don't chase anybody. Um, but number two, you, you know, like if you want to look at us as red witches because we're standing there and standing up for women, I think that that has a lot to do with the long history of witchcraft in um, this country and others. So women standing up for women, if you want to call us witches, call us witches. That would be righteous if he got chased by <laughs> red witches. <laughs> so just set the scene for us. Like how many have there been? You said it's silent. Like what is the general kind of energy or mood of one of these protests. So when you put on the the cape and then you put on the bonnet, the way that the bonnets are made, they actually are made to cover your face, um, but they also kind of serve as blinders. If you think of like the way a horse has blinders and you can't see to either side of, a, of you and, and that's intentional. But what that does is that it, when you are the one in the costume, it really makes you center down and focuses you and it feels very heavy. Um, so you get into this space of just really holding the weight of the issues um, that we're standing there with. So we've had protests that have two or three or five handmaids. Um, we've had some that have, you know, two dozen. Uh, one of the most powerful days we had at the Capitol, we had about two dozen handmaids that showed up and we lined the halls during the, um, the hearings around House Bill 481 and then we stood on the stairs um, of the state capitol and so because it's a silent protest what we are doing is giving that visual signal and that key of you know like here is something happening and with the the red 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 cloak i think it just it grabs attention um and what we found is that photographers love to take pictures and then use them on every article related to anything about reproductive health and justice. Um, so pictures of the Handmade Coalition of Georgia have been used in articles across the country um, for news coming out of Alabama, news coming out of Mississippi, other places where they don't have something that really shows that visual symbol. But the, the symbol of a handmade has really become deeply ingrained um, in this idea of people protesting against the walk back of abortion rights. Now, to back up a little bit, I don't, I typically don't like when I hear people on the radio ask these types of questions, but 
but they're necessary. So I'm going to ask this because it should be self-evident and yet maybe it is not. Why are reproductive rights so important nationally and even particularly here? So one of the most important things for women to be able to succeed in the world and be productive members of society is to have control over their reproductive choices. That's simply the number one thing for women to be able to choose when they have children and how they raise those children. And so that includes questions of not only abortion access, but other kinds of birth control, um, other types of family planning writ large. So not just actually getting pregnant, but when do you want to do something like that? What does it look like? What kinds of assisted reproductive care might you need? Um, it also extends into questions of child care, which are uh, you know, enormously important when it comes to having kids and raising families. Um, so the number one thing that you can do to limit women is to limit their reproductive choices. Um, my personal opinion is that one of the reasons we are seeing all of these kinds of laws come into play is because of these questions of women taking on their own power back in the world. Um, when we see the things like the Me Too movement where women are standing up against um, sexual harassment, rape, other kinds of injustice that are being put upon them, I think a lot of these more conservative lawmakers are literally scared of that. And so they are pushing back and they're doing it under the guise of religion and they're doing it under the guise of personhood and all these other kinds of ways that they frame it. But I think what it really comes down to is wanting control over women's bodies and the choices that they can make. Was it the symbolism that drew you to this or was it just I know that feeling of the post 2016 election? I mean, there were just a, there was a lot going on, particularly I think women felt particularly thrown under the bus maybe by that election and what was it that got you personally involved in the Handmaid's Coalition? Right. So I'm one of the one in four women who have had an abortion. Um, so abortion rights are really important to me because I know that I would not be where I am right now with a young child successfully parenting and having a career and having gotten the education that I've gotten if I hadn't been able to choose an abortion when that was right for me. Um, so abortion rights are really important to me. Uh, I'm also a giant nerd with a PhD in history and also a bachelor's in English. So I love The Handmaid's Tale and I think that it's so powerful um, because as Margaret Atwood says, everything in that book has happened in one form or another. There's, you know, it's, it's a dystopian future, it's fiction, but every element that she's pulling into that has happened. So questions of how are women being controlled through their bodies? Um, where are choices being taken away from women? How are men subjugating women and playing them against one another? Um, everything that's in that book is real. So I think that calling upon that symbolism in those ways is incredibly powerful and important. Um, so when I started seeing you know, this Hulu show is coming and of course I was excited and oh, and all these um, ways that people were, and when I heard about the, the handmade protest, it absolutely just made sense. Um, so I immediately went on the internet and figured out how to buy a cloak and make, I made my first bonnet um, and get involved. Because I think that for me, there are a lot of places where I'm involved in advocacy on the policy side and I'm talking to the policymakers and doing those kinds of behind the scenes things. 
And this is one of the instances where I was able to really actually get in front, literally in front of the building and in front of the people who are making these decisions and stand there and force them to see me. Try as they might, every lawmaker that walked past us in the Capitol looked at us. I would imagine that I'm kind of surprised, no, I'm not surprised, that one person tried to stop and tell you the, put this in quotes, correct reading of Atwood's novel. But I would imagine, do some people try not to look at you because they are ashamed of what they're doing? Or is there no sense of shame? I want to believe that, like, come on, you you must be slightly ashamed of yourself. But now I'm realizing maybe the problem is, is they have no sense of shame on this. I think that most of the people who are promoting these kinds of laws are doing it without shame. Um, they have convinced themselves through and through that what they are doing is absolutely correct. Um, and they have all of their justifications for why they think that is. Um, but I, I do, I think that they truly believe that they are justified in taking choices away from women because the women wouldn't choose the things that they would want. Um, and I think that that's really what it comes down to is this lack of respect for other people making choices that they wouldn't make. Does it fit in to these questions of intersectionality with race or with gender identity? How does this all fit together? That it's not, um, I think on the one hand, someone could say, well, this is maybe kind of out of a tradition of white feminism. But if I understand a lot of what I've read, it's it's more complicated than that. Right. And there are a lot of people who level that criticism against the handmaids and i think in a lot of ways it's fair and it's especially fair to be skeptical and i think we should all approach these kinds of things with that sense of skepticism because we should be rooting out white feminism from our feminist spaces just absolutely um so the handmaids support the reproductive health and justice coalition in atlanta which is made up of fantastic organizations most of which are um, led by black women and um are spaces that support people of color, whether you are a woman or not. Um, so if I can na- shout out some names. Yes, please. Um, so I, I apologize if I leave anybody out, but that includes Sister Song, Sister Love, Nayral of Georgia, the Feminist Women's Health Center, Urge, and Spark Reproductive Justice Now. Um, so because we are a silent protest, the handmaids are there silently, we are trying to lend our visual uh, impact to the words that they are speaking. Um, so we do not want to be the centerpiece. Um, and in fact, whenever we are around and can support somebody else in that group speaking, that is exactly what we want to do. Um, because we know that most of us are white women um, and we recognize that this isn't just about us. This isn't, um, it's not that we should be supporting 
attempts to keep abortion rights because it affects white women, but we should be supporting reproductive rights because it disproportionately affects black women, that black women have a much higher maternal mortality rate, um, which is horrifying and isn't being addressed. Uh, that this is about other kinds of reproductive justice questions about women who are of low incomes not being able to access abortions because right now anybody on Medicaid cannot use Medicaid to get an abortion. Um, so your tax dollars are not ever paying for an abortion for the record. Um, but that that has real impacts. I mean, wealthy white women have always been and will always be able to access abortion. Um, so it's really about using the power that we have as handmaids to amplify and lift up the voices of these other groups who are out there on the front lines every day providing access to reproductive health care for all of the people who need it. Because getting abortion access, if that abortion access is that, yes, you can go pay $1,000 to a doctor and get an abortion, that helps primarily white women and primarily middle and upper class white women. It does not help most black women. Um, and if all of we, that we do when we talk about reproductive justice is talk about abortion access, then you're not addressing the other kinds of disparities around maternal mortality rates and things like that. Um, and so if all we do as white women is get involved when it comes to our access for abortion being taken away, then we are failing again. Um, because white women need to be out there just as much when it comes to these other questions of disparate impacts on um, on women in pregnancy um, and other people in pregnancy. Anybody who can get pregnant needs to have reproductive health care. So we're in, sadly, a conservative state that did not elect Stacey Abrams in the middle of a national ultra-conservative political moment. Um, what do you consider a successful protest? And that's kind of one part of this question. And then where do you draw any sense of optimism or hope in this? So a successful protest is basically any time that we have people out there in handmade costumes, it is successful. Any time that we are forcing people to grapple with the reality of our current political situation when it comes to reproductive health and justice, that is success. So if all we're doing is standing out there at eight o'clock in the morning as the legislators walk into the Capitol, that's a success for me. Um, it's not about necessarily getting on the news. It's not about having a bunch of people take our pictures. It's not about you know having lawmakers come up to us and start telling us lies. It's really just about letting people know that we are here and we are continuing to be out here in this way. Um, and I think by focusing on that kind of success, it's, you're actually able to keep energized and excited um, because I know that every day that handmaids are there at the Capitol during session was a day that those legislators had to deal with the reality of what was going on. Um, and for the record, House Bill 481 passed by two votes. So this wasn't a landslide. This wasn't you know, a foregone conclusion. Um, and like in a lot of other places around the country where we're grappling with these discussions of um, women and autonomy and um, how to keep women safe, um, I'm thinking in particular of like the Kavanaugh hearings, having handmaids there is a way to force people to think about the long-term consequences that is possible if we don't stop this backslide of our rights. Now, am I saying that 20 years from now, we're all gonna be handmaids and they're gonna be you know, forcibly impregnating us? No, but 
if you stop women from being able to access the care that they need and you stop people in women or not from being able to make decisions about their lives it's going to be the equivalent um, and that we cannot allow compromises on bodily autonomy um, that people need to be able to access the health care that they need, whether it's reproductive care or not, because that's part of how we support one, one another as humans. And that includes things like trans people being able to access gender affirming care. That includes um, people being able to access care, whether they're on Medicaid or not, to get the health care that they need. That includes healthcare workers being allowed to talk about abortion um, and offer it as a possibility, which right now there's attempts to stop that as well. Um, and it affects questions of um, our immigration system, where right now there are at least 30 women who have had miscarriages while in um, ICE custody at the border. So questions of reproductive health care and justice really touch on all these different facets of our lives. They touch on race and gender and immigration and income and class. And I think that when you frame it in that way, getting out there and putting yourself in front of people who can make those kinds of decisions is, an is a success in itself. So even though House Bill 481 has already passed in Georgia and is law and is being fought out in the courts, you're going to continue to see Handmaids protesting when we find that it's appropriate. Um, so we are currently in discussion in the Handmaid Coalition of Georgia about what that looks like and where we can be most strategic because it's important that we don't just let our, we don't just throw our hands up now and say, well, the law passed and we give up. That that's how bad things happen. Um, if all you do is fight until the moment that a decision is made, then history never changes. Um, and so throughout history, change happens because people continue to fight even when things are happening that look like they're going in the wrong direction. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Sarah for joining us for this conversation. Please visit our website, aboutsouthpodcast.com, to learn more about Sarah, her work, and the Handmade Coalition. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines produced and edited this week's episode. Ajwa Danso is our other co-producer, and Jessica Parker joins us as an assistant producer this season. Music is by Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. You can find us at aboutsouthpodcast.com, as well as on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can support us by joining our Patreon page or making a one-time contribution on our website. Next week, we're talking to Sanford Johnson about education reform in Mississippi. You may also know Samford from a very famous video where he explains how to put on a sock. Until then, take care. <laughs>